0: I always find that these weekend series just about end as we're beginning them, but it is so good to fellowship together. I think I have one of the greatest privileges in the world. Unlike many people, I have the privilege of meeting with a whole range of people that believe this blessed three angels' messages, the everlasting gospel, and. Uh, One thing that I am certain, God's got His faithful people in every part of the world. This is a reform movement. I don't mean the reformed Seventh-day Adventist movement. But Sister White says there will be a great reformation among God's people at the end of time. If there's not, what's going to happen? Now, I... And known the sphinxes back in Australia, you know, sometimes you meet your fellow countrymen in different parts of the world. Now, I've had the privilege of meeting them on two other continents, haven't yet met them in Australia nor in Africa for that matter. But uh, that's all right. The Lord is raising men from the plough, she's from the common pursuits of life, not necessarily trained in the great educational institutions of the world but under the unction of the Holy Spirit it's amazing to think of what God could do with fishermen and tax gatherers and so on and if he could do that with them even common people like us are going to do great work under the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, we don't have to guess about that, that's been promised to us. Now, I want to look at um, some of these issues. People have been talking about, for some time now, the issue of the Sunday Laws. We have certainly got plenty of information from the servant of the Lord that these laws will be enacted at the end of time. I want to read you a couple of statements from the servant of the Lord. I said I was going to read about the temporal millennium. This one is from Maranatha, page 209. I saw that people... Uh, Our people in great distress, weeping and praying, pleading the sure promises of God, while the wicked were all around us, mocking us and threatening to destroy us. They ridiculed our feebleness, they mocked at the smallness of our numbers, and taunted us with words calculated to cut deeply. I believe some of those will be our former church members that we've worshipped with they charged us with taking an independent position from all the rest of the world they had cut off our resources so that we could not buy nor sell and referred to our abject poverty and stricken condition they could not see how we could live without the world we were dependent upon the world and that's of course how we've been made today We were dependent upon the world, and we must concede to the customs, practices, and laws of the world, or go out of it. If we were the only people in the world whom the Lord favored, the appearances were awfully against us. They declared that they had the truth, that miracles were among them, that angels from heaven talked with them and walked with them that great power and signs and wonders were performed among them. And this was the temporal millennium, which they had been expecting so long. Now, this temporal millennium, of course, was that time when Jesus would come and reign, or alternatively, if they didn't believe that he would reign, the world would become into harmony. It would come into unity. It would come into peace. And uh, for a thousand years it would achieve the goals and Jesus would come then. Now that's a cry that we're hearing today. This is relevant to us. You hear it from the New Ages. You hear it from the Christian um, faiths and the ecumenist movements. You can hear it from the globalists. You can almost hear it from every segment that somehow in a miraculous way, there's going to be this temporal millennium and Jesus or God's um, peace will be upon everyone. The whole world was converted and in harmony with the Sunday law. Notice how it's put with the Sunday law. And this little feeble people stood out in defiance of the laws of the land and the laws of God and claimed to be the only ones right on the earth. Now, we do claim to be the only ones right on the earth. Not that we're right, that the Word of God is right, and we've accepted the Word of God. I have to say, brethren and sisters, that I know the Baptists are not right. I know the Methodists, the Anglicans, the Catholics the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, they're not right because they don't preach and teach the words of Scripture. Now, is that arrogance? Some people say it is. I've had Seventh-day Adventists say, it's arrogant for us, meaning Adventists, to say we're the only ones with the truth. Well, I ask them, go back to Revelation 14.7, the everlasting gospel. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth to sea, in the fountains of waters. Now, I ask you, who alone can preach that message? Fear God is dealing with uh, keeping his commandments and walking in all his ways. Listen, if you don't believe in the commandments, you're not going to be part of those who give the everlasting gospel. If you don't believe in righteousness by faith, you're not going to give it. Give glory to him includes a health message because whatsoever we eat or drink or whatsoever we do to all the glory of God. <coughs> the hour of his judgment is come. Who preaches the hour, the judgment hour message? And worship him that made heaven and earth the Sabbath message. It's a worship message, the Sabbath message. Listen, you've got to have all four. I'm sorry? Oh, of course it's anti-evolution, yes, because it's the... Sovereignty of the Creator. So there it is. Righteousness by faith, the health message, the judgment hour message, the Sabbath message. Now, I want to ask you, which church holds all four of those areas? I've found some churches that go up to two. Most score zero on that that message. Absolute zero. They don't believe in victory over sin. Christ by faith. Of course, some Seventh-day Adventists rank pretty low on it too. They don't believe in the health message. They certainly don't even understand the judgment hour message and as it expands into the great sanctuary message and Christ's heavenly ministry for us. And uh, they certainly don't keep the Sabbath. So they score zero. Now, how can I say that um, each one is part, you know, they're, they're making their impact on the gospel. What gospel? This is the everlasting gospel, this is the final message that will go to the world, only way we can see it. And so, we do claim to be the only ones right on the earth, at least those of us that are faithful to the message. In great controversy page 588 it says the line of distinction between professed christians and the ungodly is now hardly distinguishable now if she could have written that so long ago the whirling and the christian could she say that about seventh day Adventist today i fear she might we're just as involved in sports We've got as bad a a, a situation in marriage and divorce. We seem to care little about the temple that God has given to us. Lots of indications. Church members love what the world loves and are ready to join with them and Satan determines to unite them in one body and thus strengthen his cause by sweeping all into the ranks of spiritualism why we're written on the death situation. Papists who boast of miracles as a certain sign of the true church will be readily deceived by this wonder-working power, and Protestants, having cast away the shield of truth, will also be deluded. Papists, Protestants, and worldlings will alike accept the form of godliness without the power, Now, what is the power of the gospel? What is the power of the gospel? Is the power of the gospel to transform sinners into saints? Is it to take away the carnal life and give a spiritual life to men and women? That's the miracle of miracles. That's the power of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There will be a grand union, a grand movement for the conversion of the world and the ushering in of the long-expected millennium. That's where we're at. Sister White wrote this before these movements were underway. Another evidence that the great controversy was divinely authored. This temporal millennium, meaning the millennium on this earth, they're not worried about a millennium in heaven. We know that's where the millennium is going to be experienced at least by the faithful, the saints. That was Great Controversy 588. The previous statement was Maranatha 209. These Sunday laws are coming in a pace. I talked about the effort there in the city of Bendigo. What do you think would have happened if the Bendigo citizens had voted that Sunday law? Do you think any other Australian cities would have been emboldened to do the same? It was, a, it was a kind of a test market. I'm not sure why they chose Bendigo, but they did. Pretty hard to do it in a secular state like Australia or a nation like Australia. There's enough heathen, as our brother said there, to win any, vote, any, any election in Australia. They all vote in concert. But now they try to bring it around the other way. When I was in the Netherlands, as I indicated, (coughs) the end of March, I couldn't believe that our people were signing this declaration in favor of um, the uh, legislation against the 24-hour economy, as it was called, to have a day set aside as a day of rest and recreation – You know that the World Council of Churches there or the equivalent National Council of Churches there in the Netherlands wasn't doing that because they wanted Wednesday to be chosen or Thursday to be chosen or Tuesday to be chosen. Or Saturday. I'd be just as opposed if it was Sabbath because we're not going to be part of legislating. That's what they're doing. And Adventists are signing it. We're actually supporting them. When I think of the Review and Herald carrying the endorsement of the leadership of this church on the religious freedom bill going to Congress, our eyes are closed. No longer do we see with spiritual discernment. Remember, one of the key problems with Laodicea is their lack of spiritual discernment. And what do they have to have? The eyes What is that eyes of? The discernment that the Holy Spirit can give to faithful people. And only those who are consecrated to God are going to have that spiritual discernment, brethren and sisters. And if we're not consecrated to God, we'll go all over the place. Why do you think so many people that once attended here at Gaisley are going for every wind of doctrine that is passing through the British Isles? They're not rooted and grounded in the truth of God. That's the problem. And without that, dear brethren and sisters, all of us would fail. If ever there's a time to have our roots in God's word and not just listen to the, the latest speaker or look at the latest video or listen to the latest tape and say, my, that's Interesting. Satan knows how to put entertaining, interesting things before our senses. brethren and sisters, it is the plain, thus saith the Lord. Notice how Sister White uses that word plain. You know, if you find a text that is not very clear, it's amazing how those who are bringing in these furious concepts will use those texts because you can't bring plain text, they just talk in the other direction. And if you find a text that's not absolutely clear, don't just take someone else's word for it. Just go through the Bible and find other texts that will clear up the issue. Line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. That's how we study God's Word. That sounds so much like the proof text method. It sounds to be something that we better be ashamed of everyone's condemning the proof text method. I'm here to tell you that Jesus would be condemned if, a, if a, the proof text method is of Satan. He used it all the time. According to the law and the prophets, or from Isaiah, or wherever he quoted. And the apostles did it. They must have been very poor theologians. Because they kept using this proof text method. But beside that we have what now is coming through. Have you ever thought what the pagan uh, or the non-Christian nations are doing in terms of Sunday? I was flying from Washington to Cleveland uh, a little while back and sitting next to me was an Indian lady. So we got into conversation. I like to get people into conversation you try to find a way to share with them you and that and um so I asked her um what she was doing and she told me she worked for the World Bank in Washington and I asked her where she came from in India and so on and uh, I forget how we got to it but she told me she was a Sikh oh I said I'm interested to learn a little more about the Sikh religion. I knew just a little wee bit about it, but um I said to her, What is the holy day of the Sikhs? Well, she said, We don't have a special holy day. Oh, well, when do you worship in the temples? Oh, we go on Sunday. Won't, won't hurt them, the Sunday legislation. You see? But very recently, Pakistan. Now, what kind of a dominance is in Pakistan? What day do they... All right, we're all clear on that, aren't we? Do you realize they have now decided that Friday will be a regular work day in Pakistan? For economic reasons. The World Labor Organization has been pressing them because the markets are all open five days a week, Monday through Friday. And Pakistan has been missing out on the fifth day. You know, the fluid markets, you've got to be up with them. The transfer of funds the buying and selling, you can lose a lot if you get a day behind. And they believe that Pakistan has suffered billions of losses because of not trading on Friday. And so they've declared Friday to be a work day, but that all must go to the mosque at middle of the day. So of take have a little time off in the middle of the day, so the businesses probably will be off for a couple of hours or so in the middle of the day so everyone can rush to the mosque and go through the appropriate uh, situation, then back to work. You see how it's happening. I don't have to tell you that most of the nations of Europe are pushing for a workless Sunday, except for the very essential areas. This is the situation. But we know that the area is not going to be strong until America gets into it. And it started in America. The state of Nebraska is now working towards a workless Sunday. It's only one state, right in the heart of America. But the same secular arguments, you know, it's amazing when you get to it, how globalistic are the arguments? The same secular arguments that we're working our people to death. There is no time with the family. They all sound pretty good arguments. And now firms are working a lot of people over time because it's much cheaper to, to work them over time. They don't have to pay any more... Um, <coughs> Sickness insurance, health insurance, and they don't have to pay the other benefits. They've already got those. And so even if they pay double time, it's still cheaper than bringing someone else on and having to pay all these extra extra costs for them. And so it's better to keep the one person. And So they're working people to death. Well, people still can say no. But they say no, they can't say no because they're afraid of losing their job. See, Satan is binding us up in all sorts of ways to keep us apart. I was mentioning... Uh, the way in which the environmental considerations are forcing people to go into big corporations. I spoke of our dilemma there at Heartland over our sewage treatment ponds. When we put them in, we're required to put in instead of just septics, um, 10 years or so ago, (coughs) we could line it with any impervious material and we had so much clay, impervious Clay, that was the obvious thing to, uh, rather than pay tens of thousands of dollars for liners but you know the EPA the Environmental Protection Agencies and so on or what we have in our our, um, the Commonwealth of Virginia called the DEQ the Department of Environmental Quality same kind of organisation they're never satisfied they started coming to us How do you know these ponds are not leaking? Well, we couldn't see any trail of green grass, you know, leading out of the ponds. That would be one thought that it might be leaking. Didn't see any obvious evidence of leakage. But we told them that they could check it and, you know, wait a minute, they don't check it. You've got to check it. You're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. Marvellous. The old idea of British justice or whatever it's called today, where is it? It used to be the old idea, didn't it? If they reckoned it was leaking, they should have had to prove it. (coughs) So we get letters saying we've got uh, alternatives. We can dig observation wells. $25,000 approximately to do that God's money I mean self-supporting work struggles itself to death God is good and I'm not saying he doesn't see us through But and then they might say well we found a little water in this observation well they wouldn't tell us how much leakage they would allow if any, but obviously there was a little bit of leakage they would allow as long as it was minimal. But what's minimal? They got the decision. They got the whip over you. And I said to my fellow ADCOM members, I said, listen, that's where they are today. We've seen how far they've come in the 15 years we've been here, even if they grant us to continue and said there wasn't, what's going to happen in the future? You know, it gets tougher and tougher as you go along. The other thing is to line it, so we price that out, 58,000 dollars. You think it's a lot of money. The liners themselves cost between 30 and 35,000 dollars, and the work you've got to do it like a billiard table. We're going to try and do some of that ourselves to reduce it somewhat, perhaps into the 40, some thousand dollars. But it's going to cost us to do it too, by the way.. <laughs> not nothing to do it with your equipment and and the like well then of course they come along and suddenly we get an out of compliance letter they know how to put the pressure on and then they said you know you've got to have all your plans in by may one and then the clock starts to tick and we're giving you 180 days so that clock is ticking I called up a friend uh, that has supported us very significantly financially in Pennsylvania, told him our dilemma. He said, I wish I could help you. But I'm in an even worse dilemma than you're in. I've just finished a subdivision. It cost me about $300,000 to put in a sewage treatment facility for that subdivision that met the codes. One month later, I received... Uh, well, we received notification that the city had adopted a new ordina- ordinance that all sewerage had to go through the central city sewerage treatment plant. I'm trying to find half a million dollars, which it will cost me to do that, and that 300000 is an absolute waste. Wouldn't that have been nice to have in God's work? He thought the same thing, by the way. He said, I'll make it. I'm scratching all over the place. I'll make it. But he said, some are not going to make it. What goes to happen to those businesses? The small businesses and the medium-sized businesses are being squeezed out by costs that they just cannot bear. And no wonder there are these big mergers and conglomerates developing all over the world. Here in Europe, the international conglomerates are just growing dramatically. I read an article upon it about it in the New York Times. Once there were very few international corporations. I suppose the wars kept that from happening. But today, Britain's being bought out by the Germans. At least the motor industry. It's happening in America too, with the Daimler-Benz buying out Chrysler. That only leaves the two bigger, Ford and GM as primarily American, and I wonder how long before they'll be taken out by someone. But ironically, the American firms are taking and gobbling in other parts of the world. All of them seem to be trying to get into this global market. Now, I want us to read together James 5. Let's look what's going to happen. Um, we could read also, too, uh, the, the, the um, 16th chapter of Revelation, but... You think of what the merchantmen are going to do at the end of time, the ones that love the papacy, the ones that uh, were so admired, and now they're weeping because of what what's happened to them. You get it in a number of places in Revelation. But James chapter 5 is a prophecy that I remember hearing concentrated upon a lot when I was a boy. I haven't heard much about it recently, but... It says, go to now, ye rich men. That made an impact upon poverty-stricken people like my family because it didn't, it didn't affect us. But we were thinking the few rich people in Australia at the time, they're going to suffer. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure to yourself for the last days. Behold, the hire of the who have uh, laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you, and so on. Now, there's going to be a terrible, gigantic collapse in the economy. I came to the United States 24 and a half years ago. The Dow Jones average was 800 something. It's now marching towards 10,000. One analyst said that by April next year it will have reached 10,000. I don't know. It's only a guess, of course, but an informed guess. The higher it goes, the greater the fall thereof. It's going to fall. It's going to crash. And I don't mean just like it did in 1929. Much worse than that. Even the common people have got their little savings and that in the stock market today. Small-time people have got their little portfolios and they're diversifying, hoping that it will make them rich and ready them for their retirement and so on. Many of them are never going to make that retirement. And if they do, they're not going to have any money to get from it. And all the great experts and the great firms that deal with the stock markets and the money exchanges and the commodities and so on. You see, it's it's a commodity market and it's a money market and the currency markets and there's so many different kinds of markets. Praise God we got cancelled to keep our money out of these kind of things. We're not to be in stocks and shares. If you've got that excess, put it in God's work. Listen, the time has come for us to do something a little more creative. I'm not mean to sell our little homes, but I am saying if we've got extra things, you know, those that have got the luxuries, a boat here or a second house here. When we, met, when Elder Spear mentioned this in Riverside, one man came up and he said, I've got three houses I've got to sell. Must have had four houses. He came convicted. Had to do something about it. I tell you, I'd hate to be a Seventh-day Adventist, a wealthy Seventh-day Adventist, when suddenly everything goes bust. It's going to happen. We don't know when. But I do want to say that what I've been reading on this 2000 could be the start of a terrible financial collapse. I think there is no question there is going to be a downturn in world economy by the year 2000. There could be unprecedented celebrations, New Year's Eve 2000, and a moment or two later or a day or so later, there could be terrible anguish, at least in certain parts of this world. If the first world countries, the... the, uh, Affluent countries of the world are going to have problems. What do you think is going to happen in the lower economic countries? Just has to leave it to our imagination. Now, some of you, of course, are very alert to what this Y2K problem is. It's been condensed to, or the Year Two Thousand computer problem. Back in the 60s, when the analysts were setting up their data files and so on, they decided to use six rather than eight digits for dates. Why, it would seem, because they had very little memory. And every business transaction or any transaction that had a date upon it, they saved two bytes of memory. That was when they were dealing in kilobytes or thousands of bytes. And then we were amazed when they came to the megabytes, millions of bytes. And then to the gigabytes, billions of bytes. And now to the terabytes, trillions of bytes. Now, two bytes doesn't mean too much when you're dealing in trillions. But it meant a lot when you're dealing in thousands. And every business wanted to save as much memory as they could. And so instead of putting 1968, they just put 68 or whatever the year was. Most of the analysis thought nothing about. I talked to Brother Michael Shin, the dean of men, who was one of those young analysts back there in the late 60s. He said, I never gave it a thought. Just a way to save two bites every time you put a date down. And if you're in a business, you could save thousands of bytes very quickly just by not doing the two extra bytes. Putting in the 19, waste of energy, anyone. Everyone knows when you put 68, it's nine in 68. So why worry about putting 19 in front of the 68? I did read in one comment that there was those that said well they knew there could be a problem but obviously an entirely different technology will be available 30 plus years from now but it isn't we're still of course vastly improved but we're still using the same kind of technology for these huge mainframes and those uh, technicians were trained in COBOL not many of the young technicians today are trained in COBOL and so now it's the middle-aged men that have got to try and do the problem, fix the problems. Some are coming out of retirement to try and fix it. And when you're getting 80 bucks an hour or something like that, that's pretty good. You can almost name your own price today. But what small business can afford to pay that? And it's slow, painstaking work because they've got to go through every line And there are sometimes tens upon tens of thousands of lines to check. And if you miss one, it could still go up in the year 2000. Now, going through the material on the web, I don't have the web, of course, but I've got a friend that does, and so I get him to get stuff off the web for me. I go through the material. And I look to see whether the people are credible sources or not. They're putting them in from various viewpoints. For example, um, different countries are putting on. The Germans are putting a lot on the web. Unfortunately, I can't read it. The Australians are putting a lot on the web. The British, not so much for some reason. The Americans are flooding the web on the problem. But we're now on the global level facing a, a, a huge crisis. The USA today had a full page you know, on it. And they looked at Europe, they looked at Asia, and they looked at the developing countries. And how it would impact, they would impact upon the US. In Europe, they said that on the whole, Europe was in a desperate, impossible situation from the year 2000. Only Great Britain, the Netherlands, and Scandinavia were anywhere near likely to be ready by the year 2000. I suppose you can say, thank the Lord, Britain's one of those. But the, Ger- German, the greatest shock, and, and they concentrated on Germany because it's the biggest economy in Europe. And, of course, a major trading partner, although Britain is still the greatest owner of assets in the United States. I don't know whether you know that. By far, way and above the Germans and the Japanese or the Arabs are the British I couldn't believe when I read the figures. Two to three times as much as the next closest owner of assets in the United States was Great Britain. But still, Germany is a major partner as are other of the EU. countries. And they compared the American big businesses. They just looked at the big businesses because they're going to make the big impact as trading partners. And they reported that while 80% of big business in America looked as if they would be likely ready by 2000, only 8% of German businesses looked as if they would be ready, looking at less than two y- years beforehand. 8%. And then they looked at France and Belgium and Austria and Switzerland and Italy, I think were the main other ones that they looked at. None of them anywhere near any possibility of being ready by the year 2000. That's a very serious thing. But what is beginning to anger the Americans is the conversion to the euro currency. They're starting to say this is the worst Situation that we can have. You know, this is an article from the Orlando Sentinel, April 22. Now, that's the main morning paper in Orlando, Florida. Like comets hurtling towards each other, the world's year 2000 problem and uh, Europe's new euro currency are on a collision course that could disrupt the world economy computer experts said tuesday goes on talking about this then it says the euro and the year 2000 are competing for scarce software resources the timing of the euro conversion with the year 2000 was work is disastrous it is one of the worst public policy decisions in human history. I don't know whether you're reading that in the British press. Now, that's a striking statement. There's a collision course between the conversion to the euro dollar. And by the way, it's not only affecting euro Europe or those nations of Europe, the 11 nations that are supposed to be, be coming together. The... Um, The concerns that come, if I can find them quickly here, are in a multitude of, here is another one, Europe's new currency to be a quagmire. This is from the Mercury News, and I'm not sure which, oh, San Jose, California. See, the American papers are now starting to get busy on it and try to inform the people they've been as silent as a mouse up until this time. Still struggling with the implications and unexpected costs of the year 2000 problem. The Europeans have another little surprise for you. The euro. One report on the information technology impact of the euro said, if the year 2000 problem is an 800 pound gorilla, the gorilla has a brother. I'd be inclined to say the gorilla has a much bigger brother, and that's the euro conversion. The costs are expected to be enormous, according to a recent Gartner group study. Now, Gartner has been monitoring this for quite a number of years now. The, implication, uh, the implementation of the euro will take 15 to 20% of the world's informational technology resources through 2000 and will delay and reshape all other information technology projects. Now, if you're going to take 15 to 20% of the world's information technology resources, you're going to really put the whole of the country in effect. The euro's informational technology impact is absolutely underestimated. Absolutely, says Netherlands-based Ben DeViers of Oracle Corporation, the Redwood Shoes database software firm. However, he expects the awareness to rise sharply. But awareness doesn't mean solution. I suppose you've got to have it before you've got solutions. They talk about the Swedish concerns that are expressed. And um, the problems are that even if countries are ready and others are not, it's still going to impact upon every other country because of the... The global economy that we have today, that is the problem. And uh, everything that I've read said Europe is going to be hopelessly as a whole, some countries accepted, hopelessly unready. And now they're they're saying, but it's not only the Europeans. What's it mean to us? The Americans are saying our banks have got to spend a lot of their uh, technology and their resources and their manpower on trying to get their banks ready for the euro. You know, after all, they've got to make transfers. But the the complicated process with which this euro is coming in, remember, it's not January 1, 1999, everything becomes euro in those 10, uh, 11 countries. It's only electronic transfers at first. But then you've got to through, go through a three-phase cumbersome process in which you convert from Dutch guilders to German marks, and then you d- into euro. It's not a direct relationship, but all the the, the um, currency transactions, normal currency, will still be done in marks and in guilders, and so on for the next three years to 2002. And so you got this mix going on. And the foreign exchange currencies and the banks of the other world, they've got to try and get their act together. And many of the American banks are saying, we're having all the trouble in the world trying to know how to relate to this euro. And we're too busy trying to get ready for the 2000 computer buck. Satan is doing a masterly job on us, brethren and sisters. Now, I didn't bring it with me, but I had the study From the U.S. government, their their analysis of where the U.S. government is in terms of the year 2000. I'm talking about all the government agencies, the departments of the U.S. government. The senator, uh, not the senator, the representative who has been given the chairmanship of the committee that's investigating, they went through every department, and they gave them grades of their readiness or likely readiness for 2,000. Only three got an A grade, three departments. The vast majority got F grades. F. Meaning there's not a hope in the world they're going to be ready. The three that got A grades were the Social Security Department, the... Um, National Science Foundation Department and the Veterans Administration. People started to rejoice. At least I'll still get my Social Security or I'll get my Veterans Pension until it was pointed out that the Treasury Department got a D-grade. Better than most, but they will not be ready to 2001. So going, there's going to be a little bit of a problem because they're the ones that give the money to the Social Security Department, to the Veterans Department. So don't hold your breath that you're going to get... I don't know what it's going to be like over here, but maybe you ought to find out what the grading is on the departments of the British Government. Might be worth writing to your MP and saying, I want to know what are the readiness of the departments of the British Government. Might be educative. The worst report was given to the State Department. Now that's the Foreign Affairs Department. What do you call it over here? Foreign. The what? Foreign Office. The, foreign Office. the Foreign Office, Department of America. That's a rather serious thing. They're anticipating readiness by the year two thousand fourteen by the State Department. What happens to the foreign policies and decision makings of the? For- uh, I mean, it's just incredible. Now, I hope they'll find a way to get there. But the biggest concern came with the Defence Department. They anticipate readiness by the year 2009 for the Defence Department. Now, the Defence Department uses one-third of the computers of the United States government. Because everything, all the Navy, all the Air Force, all the military is totally computerized. The satellites, the surveillances, and everything you can imagine is computerized. And one expert looking at the situation says America has the greatest computerized navy in the world, untouchable. They pointed out that if it is not fixed by 2000, that the Chinese Navy, which is built on little better than Second World War technology, will be vastly superior. That's a kind of a frightening thought to the, the people of America. Now, they are probably concentrating on the most urgent areas. You know, they're going to try to do the best they can, I'm sure. But it's a dismal picture for the normal running of government in america did we realize that these computers were actually going to become our masters that they were going to be in such a controlling position that they were going to be like the the fictional robots that somehow overcome the makers of those robots man's technology has gone beyond a servant to become a master But as I go through, they look at things that could happen. Every major thing that modern society is about is computerized, these huge mainframes. The Australians are concentrating. I have read two or three strong articles from the Australian Financial Review. There's one of them. They're saying our hospitals are going to be in chaos. You know, this, this article is entitled Another Bug for the Doctors and Nurses. I don't know whether Australian hospitals are worse off than the rest of them. Describing the millennium bug as a highly contagious or pervasive disease which, unless controlled, will assume epidemic proportions. Quite strong language. Mr Newman, he's the um, uh, health care... Um, uh, consultant in terms of the hospitals in Australia, Maurice Newman, picture of him here. Don't know what that does to help us. Think about all the places that chips are used in a hospital, lab or clinic, for example, infusion pumps, laboratory equipment, MRIs, CR- CT scanners, dialysis, chemotherapy treatment, intensive care and so on. They could add neonatal... Um, care units and all the other things they're all controlled by computers and the australians to come to the conclusion it's going to be almost impossible to have all their hospitals ready to fire in the u2000 now you wouldn't want to have a a bad heart attack or a, a child born with needing special care if they didn't know what was going to happen to the the equipment do you think it will be an adequate legal defence to claim that you were prepared but your suppliers weren't? That's the final line. You know, he's talking to the hospitals. When, when someone dies because the equipment fails, can you blame the suppliers or are you going to be, be sued? America is estimating that lawsuits could go as high as $2 trillion over this. Everyone and his dog, they believe, is the only gainers are going to be the lawyers of America. That's what one said. Because you imagine it. They said board members are going to be sued and and, and corporate leaders because they didn't do enough soon enough. Nice thought, isn't it? there'll be some rushing for early retirement. That won't save them because they'll still find them in their retirement and still put them on trial. Or those who are correcting the problem if they make a mistake and the computer doesn't fire. They're going to be suable. Or when corporations haven't fixed the situation that have been important suppliers of or sub suppliers to major industry maybe the major industry will sue these people it might be someone making a part for cars or something two trillion dollars that's a guesstimation just in the law bills sounds chaotic doesn't it or potentially yes Oh. You, just, you can't do nothing. You just have to wait until they start up. They say, come back in two hours. Well, try when you go to the, the airline desk and the computers are down. I've been caught in that, and they couldn't do anything. I said, listen, I'm going to get from here. That was Charlottesville over to Washington and hope that their computers are up because they said the whole United system was down. So they did let me on the plane and said, try and fix the thing up when you get to Washington. Fortunately, it was up again by then. But just say it's down for two or three or four days. And they're looking at this. They're looking at other issues. Your water supply. They tested out major water supply in Hawaii. They turned it up to the year 2000. It collapsed. Just stopped. Others Say that there's a, every possibility because of computer problems that pollution will get into the water because some area of, of uh, purification and chlorination and all the other things they do to water may not take place. That's not going to be too good. But just say a water supply of a major city turned down. Imagine what happened in New York City if that happened. How many people would die from, from murder first or, or trampling or something? The panic... You try and get out in New York City in a panic. And how long do you think it would be the the stores? You wouldn't have a chance, the fights, to try and get the last bit of drinkable liquid, no matter what it was, out of those stores. Well, any big city. Now, we're not saying it will happen, but what will happen if it happens? The food stores. All, uh, 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 their whole stocking and their whole um, dating and so on is computerized, on these huge main lines. I was amazed when I found the food line that 's the name of one of the um, supermarkets uh, there in Little Orange that even the temperature in the food line was controlled of the head office in North Carolina. They didn't even seem to trust the people to know how to turn the temperature up and down in the store to get the right, I don't know, it's just all, I suppose it's all wonderfully computerised. But just say food lines, computers go down. It's incredible. They say there's every possibility that the, the stores could be just absolutely ransacked. If any panic sets in, in any city. And a lot of you are down there in London. I'm not saying London's going to fail. It's got a better chance than most most cities of the world because of the advancement of the British in this. But don't take any risks. They're concerned about the airlines. All the traffic control systems are computerised the planes are guided by computers. Now, they have counted out at last that they don't expect any planes to be falling out of the air. But I tell you what, if if the guidance systems start to go, they're going to have to go back to some primitive technology. I'm not going to plan to be on a plane for the first few days after and I'll see what happens before I decide I'll go on a plane. They're talking about the trains. The, and Europe, I thought of Europe immediately. Any country, but especially Europe. All the switches today are from mainline computers. You can you imagine the chaos or the potential accidents? They'd have to stop running them. The old hand, you know, pulling and changing the lines and that that used to be so commonly done. Don't expect that anymore. It's not what's done. least in the major nations all our satellites are computer controlled what's going to happen to them what about the spy satellites for the defense department i'm sure they're trying to work on some of those things first Remember how much of your car is computerised today. Better get an old jalopy before they had computers. And in the major cities, all the traffic lights are run by computers. If they go down, can you imagine what's going to happen? Either they're going to have to employ huge numbers of temporary policemen to try and control the traffic or something's going to happen if they haven't got it all fixed. As one expert wrote, he said, I intend to be around no city or large town come the year 2000. There's too many things that could go wrong. What did Sister White say about our people? Get out out of the cities. Now, I especially say to brethren and sisters that are in London or Birmingham or the bigger cities here in Britain at least plan to take a nice two-week vacation somewhere in the country just starting before the year 2000 hits us. I'm serious about that. Don't stay there. Now, everything may be all right in London. But if you take your vacation and you can get back to London, but then think, eventually it's all going to go into chaos, whether it happens in a year and seven months' time or or whether it happens later, and not much later in the history. So this is the time to be out. Sister White says this is the time to be in the rural, uh, in the little villages and um country areas it's not yet the time to flee to the caves i want you to remember that we've still got a witness we've got to have our, our mission into the populaces of the world we've still got a world to get take the everlasting gospel to but for ourselves and she says make sure you got a little bit of land I should have bought over here a whole stack of country living and got the plans. Listen, I think we all, everyone, need to read that book again. I haven't read it for a long time. I did read it once. But I think I need to read it again. Now, I've only touched on a few of the things that, that could possibly go wrong. The banks. We're starting to make plans at Heartland. We're putting our plans out. We're, we're going through every computer we got because even the PCs got problems. And you may not have the major problems that we get, but we've got to be ready for 2000. The newer computers will be okay, but you've got to look at the software. not only the, the hardware. You've got the software. You've got the firmware. You've got the application package, everything. And if one of those is not ready... The computer's not going to function. It's as simple as that. Can you imagine when, when all that they get are dates, back dates. We're already getting problems in America from this, and those of us like Heartland who are on a um, academic year, and therefore our financial is will be 1999, June, July one to June. 3 2000 june 30 2000 we know that if we're not ready in just over a year's time when we put in uh, academic year or financial year in july 1 99 to june 30 2000 we're going to get problems so don't think everyone can wait for a year and seven months There are all sorts of tricky things. Asia is in chaos. They haven't done the problem of the euro. Their problem is the economic collapse. Japan, South Korea, Thailand, Indonesia, all the major Asiatic collapses, even um, India and and, uh, Pakistan have felt it. Hong Kong and Singapore have felt it. Taiwan has felt it. Not as bad as the other major ones, but they have felt it. And they're so busy trying to scrape together and hope that they can survive the, the financial downturn in those nations, they can't put the resources in to try and fix the 2,000-year problem. Now, their are major markets, places like Korea, South Korea, Japan, and even Thailand and Indonesia have got big markets. They're not going to be ready. And this article said if Bolivia is not ready, Britain will, I mean, the U.S. will feel it. The interchanges. If you've got people collapsing, how do you sell your commodities? And if you're not selling your commodities, what happens to labor force? Unemployment will very quickly overtake many nations. If the Dow Jones downturns 20%, as one forecaster said, that will bring a deep depression. They said if even 10% of the small businesses go under because of it, and they're the ones most likely to go under, then there will be a recession around the world. The Gartner Group said there's 70% of a serious recession in the year 2000. Well, that's a pretty high percentage and probably it's conservative because they're a conservative, they're not a a sensational group. Are we coming to, or is this maybe, will turn out better than we fear? But if it is, God is still warning us, we better get ready. At Heartland, we've written to writing to all the organizations we do business with, and we're asking them in hard copy to tell us what they've done and give the backup data to prove what they've done. We're writing to all the banks we deal with because we've, I mean, we just put a little, we've tried because of the collapses of banks to put bit in about six or seven different banks. I tell you what their responses are going to be... We've got one back that's given us strong evidence that they're going to be ready. But if a small percentage of the banks aren't ready, that's going to affect the ones that are ready because of the interconnections between the banks. You don't know what's going to happen. And the greatest thing that has been shown in this situation is no one knows what's going to happen. The best experts are guessing... But I haven't read one that says all is well in Zion, if you use a biblical phrase. I was reading what um, Caspar Weinberger said. You know, he's not going to go into print without some pretty strong statements. He says the chaos that could ensure has been reasonably well documented. It could result in insurance companies being told they should use premiums for policyholders who are aged minus 23 years. In other words, they can't get the dates right. Already we had a woman in America, 104 years of age, told that she had to get ready to go to kindergarten next year <laughs> because her birth date back in the 19th century was interpreted as... Being the birth date in the 20th century i don 't think she's going to follow that direction if she 's alive to do it and now a significant number of people in America their cards have been rege- their their credit cards have been rejected because they 've got new cards which take over into two thousand I tell you you can tell immediately whether that bank is ready or not if your credit card is rejected because expiry date is after January 1, 2000, you will know the bank's not ready. If it is accepted, you'll know the bank is ready. I just talked to someone out in California that their cards were totally rejected. So we're getting some of the impact now. People are looking at (laughs) their credit cards. I looked at mine too. It expires April of '99. So what happens after that? This is the U.S. News and World Report. You know that magazine. I had a letter just, yes, uh, a couple of days ago rejecting my card for a telephone bill in America, and that, that is 0700. And I came back rejected, and there's no problem with the with the card. 0700, well, that means 2,000. That's why it was rejected. Whoever that bank is, they're not ready. Oh, well, that telephone company's not ready. Yeah, but that's another thing that can go down. The telephone companies are all highly computerized. So there, there's an example. Uh, people are starting to pick up which are not just by their credit cards, which banks or organisations are not ready. That's why you were rejected. U.S. News and World Report, March 23. This is what the cartoonist depicted. Can you see it from the back? Well, you can come up a little closer later. It says here, 12.01 uh, a.m., January 1, 2000. And here's a woman at the keyboard And what's happened to a computer? Turned into, you know, taking off from Cinderella, I suppose. It's turned into a pumpkin. We're not talking about irresponsible um, sensationalists. This is how it's being depicted. And then it says down here in little print, just don't say nobody warned you. I want to assure you that responsible people have come to the conclusion there is no way that the world's going to be ready. A little mistake of two digits. Satan's a master, isn't he? And when those problems come, don't you think they're going to be extreme laws passed? Don't you think there's going to be panic laws passed? Won't it be easier to pass things like Sunday laws and bring people together? If it turned into rioting, if it turned into looting, if it turned into pilferings. And there's no control and they've got to get out the army and the militias and everything that they can find. Brethren, there could be bloodbaths all over the place, making Rwanda look like a very minor affair. At the end of time, there's going to be tremendous chaos in this world. We know that. The scripture makes that plain. Whether this is it or the beginning of it, we're not absolutely sure. But brethren, it's the time for us to get ready. This is a wake-up call for us, brethren and sisters. And I believe it's a time to get to our people. I believe most of our self-supporting ministries don't know. And that's why I'm getting an article written, or have written the article, in the attempt to wake up our people who are at least present-truth people to what might take place, and I give a whole list of things. The first thing is to get our lives ready. That's the first thing. Decide what we're going to do with excess finance and excess property and so on. Brethren, and sisters, we live like kings and queens compared with the peasants of former generations in this nation or any nation we live in. When I consider, you know, the people at Heartland, they are sacrificing by modern-day standards. But I tell you this, even on the little salaries we get there at Heartland or stipends, honorariums, some call it, we're living better that my parents lived when I was a little boy. We never dreamt we would ever own a car. Now, in America, you haven't got a car. You're just about housebound. Public transport is so pathetic, except in a few specified locations. Brethren and sisters, God is giving us warnings. He's giving us a wake-up call. This is a time to say that's getting wrapped up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Let's rejoice about it. Let's not get morose about it and start to take every plan that we can. I want you to think about country living. I know some are going to find that hard financially. In this country, unfortunately, cost of property is more expensive in the country than it is in the cities. That's not true in most countries of the world. Certainly not true in Australia. and It's not cert- certainly not true in, in the United States especially. But nevertheless, we've got to get out. I especially am concerned in America for the ethnic groups that are in the inner cities. I mean Adventists. How do you grow your own produce? I've told us at Heartland we've got to do something. We, we've got all sorts of things. In plan, and if you want to talk to me about what we're trying to do, I don't think we're going to have everything ready, but the Lord knows we're trying, and we're going to ask him to make up the difference for us. That's why we've got those Belgium horses there. At least they'll be able to work if there's no electricity or no gas- <coughs> gasoline or diesel oil or whatever. We can feed them on a, a bit of grass around, I suppose. But uh, they're happening. Come up, um, and let's have the closing exercise. I know it's getting late, but I want you to be ready, dear brethren and sisters.